right, people, welcome to the first episode of the Bar and Bar podcast. And here tonight we have Brandy from Dulcis, Kings Cross. Uh, we're going to chat about you a little bit of um, Dulcis idea, mm-hmm. um, the bar concept, location, a um, little bit of the background of Brandy's. Yeah. Do you want to introduce yeah. yourself? You want to do ready? Uh, my name's Brandon. Uh, I've been in hospitality. It was the first ever job that I had uh, when I was 14 and six months in the ACT. You can start working. And I remember asking my drama teacher at the time if she could get me a part-time job at a cafe or a restaurant. And I started working there and it was pretty, it was an incredible experience. It was a bunch of I want to say young people, but they were younger than, they were like, yeah, they would have been about my age, which I don't feel is quite young for hospitality now. But um, it was a really good learning experience. They were all very kind of fresh and exciting and uh, they had a very good idea about how things needed to be done. And from that, I never never did the McDonald's thing. I never did the, um, the fast food line cook thing so I I never had that understanding of micromanagement it was always a broader understanding of Mm. hospitality on a larger scale and how a restaurant works as opposed to how a single position works and so from that I think I was able to kind of progress a lot faster um, than what a lot of other kids my age were and they they were they were going into those like micromanaged jobs, yeah. which everyone does, like those first. Because it's kind of like the easiest way to get a job, or the easiest way. You know? that, like, yeah. and there's a lot of turnover in those places, and there's a lot of people who just want sick days. So, yeah. you look at those like places like McDonald's; they have huge amounts of staff. Yeah. Um, restaurants, if you've got a good one. And the one that I was at had relatively no turnover of staff. Uh, the same staff were probably there for about three years. Wow. And that was great. Yeah. Um, it meant that it was also a safe place to learn and educate mm-hmm. myself on hospitality. And everyone kind of had an understanding of hospitality and, and that informed mine. Um, going on from there, I then went to university and I started uh, studying and I was doing psychology and then I decided to do theatre and then all of a sudden I was like, I want to be in the creative industries. And yeah. I kind of stopped working in hospitality um, after opening Ivy Pool Bar in Sydney. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that was... A while ago. It was a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it, was a, it was a while ago. Um, and that was my first big job in... In Sydney, the the previous restaurant was in Canberra, mm-hmm. and I think Ivy kind of taught me how to be how to be strong in hospitality. Yeah. For anyone that knows Ivy Pool Bar, um, in the heyday, it was hectic, yeah. and we we probably started before the heyday. We started when it was a private member style club, mm-hmm. and it only really lasted three months, but it was. Hectic. There was no rules. It was, it was all very like exciting and fresh. And but with the, the the kind of ludicrous amounts of fun, also came like the dark side of it. And I think very quickly you learn how to kind of stand up for yourself and yep. have strength and conviction and power and all the things that you're wanting to do. Because if you gave weakness in any aspect, you would just be walked all over by customers, by staff, by um, co-workers. 
So that was kind of a rude awakening, but also a welcome awakening. I then went and worked for Bills for a little bit just after the, uh, the aftershock of IV. Uh, <laughs> just something very, very casual from late nights to early mornings doing breakfast. And that, like, that just taught me how to be part of a machine. I think rather than, um, rather than the McDonald's straight out of school, doing something like Bills where there's a process and there's a system and, and there is a way that Bills does things. And that was my system job or my micromanagement job where I was part of a machine that was structured around an experience that has been there for a long time. And so it was a really interesting way to kind of educate myself, I guess, on, on those things that I'd missed out. Uh, from that point on, I went into theatre. So for about five years, I wasn't working in hospitality. I was working in theatre, um, but I was desperate to create theatre that was experiential. And I kept on having this idea of like opening sh little shows in bars or doing theatre pieces in restaurants. And, and like for some, retro retrospectively, I'm like, you were just wanting to open a bar. Yeah, yeah. You weren't wanting to do a show there. You were just wanting to like create an environment in a space that makes money. Um, and I found myself in New York and then I was working at The Box. And for anyone that knows, The Box is one of the most kind of hectic exciting and creative and it's definitely an experience um it's built around the idea of like difference and entertainment and surprise and spontaneity and all these different things that i'd always thought hospitality was but australia didn't really have it at, at that the, time at that time so i came back uh to sydney and i walked straight into a general manager job um at the corner house uh, which was which taught me a lot about the actual fiscal side of management. So learning about how to look at P and Ls, uh, ordering lean, all of those little things that you definitely definitely need yep. in order to secure not just your job but everyone else's. And then I moved around and uh, I went to I started moving into the Potts Point area and I was working in this area. And it was great, like you, you suddenly realise that there's a, a group of people that are very excited about hospitality and, and so going back to that idea of wanting to open a bar kind of existed again and I was able to go, well this is cool, like people enjoy and appreciate this world so let's open a bar. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of where it got to. Alright. Yeah. So did you decide, um, when you decide to open a bar? Do you do you have already in mind what sort of? Oh look, I I have a Pinterest which has probably about eighteen bar ideas yeah. on it, and like hopefully, someday down the track, there will be an explosion from my mind mm. of all those eighteen bars. Yeah, I've always loved the idea of you know Marvel Cinematic Universes. I've always wanted like a hospitality cinematic universe okay. where every time you enter a venue, uh, you enter that universe at a certain time or period or mm. uh, it discusses a certain idea and integrates with its audience in a, in a very different way. And I think um, for a lot of people that I was explaining that idea to, they were like, that's so big, like think yeah. smaller, think smaller. And so I went from looking at spaces that were 500 squares, which is ludicrous thinking now, um, 
and it, everyone, the, I would show your space to like family and friends, and they're like, "Whoa, that's big." Think smaller. So I finally got to a point where I think I found a friend of mine found this space, Dulcie's, and it was an old strip club. It was listed for 108 square meters um, <clears throat> in Kings Cross, which was in the middle of a lockout. Yeah. It was an old strip club with no license, no DA. There was absolutely nothing that you look around and see now there essentially except a stripper stage. And from that point, we were able to kind of build on <clears throat> the, this idea of something local. Mm. And um, I, I think I want to now say that, you know, back, in, back then I was like, well, if I can make it there, I can make it anywhere. Yeah. But I think then I was saying it was cheap as shit and this was going to be the best way to go in. And I was very naive. So we, I looked around for things in the area and in the history of the area. Um, I always loved the idea of King's Cross. Uh, I've <clears throat> always associated King's Cross with Sydney and I've always associated the Coke sign as being this kind of uh, <clears throat> heart of Sydney that when you drive up um, William Street, even from the city, and you see that like red Coke sign yeah, there on... Right. Very iconic. Yeah, and, and yeah. like to me, it was always that like really emotive way of saying, "Oh, that's the city's heart that's, beating over there." Yeah, that's the party word. Yeah, I know. And it was, and like I remember when it was really loose. And so for me, I remember I, I worked in the area from when I saw the, the 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 lockouts go down, and then there was about, I think it was about a year where the coke sign was in repair. Okay. And I remember a lot of people just looking at the cross and going, this sucks. Like, this is, Sydney's dead. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and I remember I was working at a bar that used to back, uh, had a balcony that looked directly onto the Coke sign. And on my last shift, they turned the, co the Coke sign back on. And I was like, oh, fuck, this is cool. Like, <laughs> things are going to change. And so I looked at the history of the area um, and realized that, the way that people look at it is you've either got Sydney's underbelly mm -hmm. or you have kind of random other parts of, of Sydney where it's like, oh, you could do like old convicty things. Yeah. And I really didn't want to do that. I wanted to, like, to, to showcase um, King's Cross in a way that people hadn't really talked about it in a while. And King's Cross always was... Um, before about the the forty uh, the forties or up to the forties, it was kind of the Paris of Sydney, and it had there was a Chanel store, and there was mm. all these amazing wow. yeah yeah there was butchers and bakers, and it, this is where Australia's first coffee shop was. There was okay. a, a guy called Ivan Repin, and he brought coffee from Russia, and started um, coffee shops and brought in this idea of espresso bars where Europeans could come and sit and talk and yeah. and have that culture, and so. I was looking at those people and I was like, oh, we could name it after Sweethearts, the cafe that existed, or you could name it after all these things. And I kind of found this woman called Dulcie Deemer who moved into Potts Point and was an artist. She was a writer. She was Australia's first female boxing reporter. She established the Australian Guild of Writers. She wrote for newspapers. She was a feminist. Uh, she narrowly missed out on sailing on the Titanic. Um, she went to to feminist rallies in New York, and she kind of represented this version of Potts Point that was exciting and bohemian, and was all about like the discussion of ideas mm -hmm. and 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 bohemia. Um, 
in a sexy sense of it, not in a kind of like struggling artist sense of it. Yep. And that's kind of how I, how I saw Potts Point and King's Cross. And I thought, fuck it, like they're about to change the way that they look at King's Cross. Yeah. The, the, the idea of the CD nightclub thing is, is fading. Not completely, but it is. So I was like, well, why doesn't this be our person? And, and so going forward, we kind of built the bar around the idea of a 1930s cabaret room that was the basement bar of Dulcie Dima. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. So that's a little bit of the story of uh, Dulcie's and why you choose the name mm -hmm. and also the location, right? Like mm. You wanted to keep kind of like King's Cross Yeah, alive. keep it local. Keep yeah, it local, yeah. And, and remind people that there was a certain sense of romance and and such yeah. in and and, that, and that's how I saw hospitality it wasn't about beer barns and pubs because they already exist it was about tailored experiences and mm -hmm. intimate interactions and like green velvet curtains and yeah. and tassels and lamps and low lighting and, and and comfortable spaces where you can kind of break away but you're also still part of something so yeah it, it's it's kind of every, it's definitely evolving day and day yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty yeah. cool. I'm, I remember coming to Dulcie's probably like a year ago when I started working at the yeah. restaurant just around the corner. Yeah. And didn't have the chance. It was Megan, my friend. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, this is a really cool bar. I know the guys. Yeah. Let's come have a drink. And when I entered, I was like, yeah, this is... Thank this you. This is kind of like my bar that I kind of like the colors and... The vibe, the music, obviously. Yeah, we and, and we get that a lot, which I think is great. Like people really claim it, and when they walk down off Darlinghurst Road into what everyone else thinks is an old strip club, yeah, it's a space that they're able to claim as their own and and turn into their retreat. And you forget that you're in 2020, and up the, up upstairs there's junkies and prostitutes and and 20 year olds going out for the first time and mm. kids from holy moly and uh, like it's all that that messiness of a of an urban uh, like red light district but yeah. down here it's relaxed and yeah. you can drink martinis till 2am and it's all very like not sophisticated but it's presented in a way that's palatable and that's how we've kind of had to move forward with it i think like people like things like they're very nostalgic yeah you know, like Nostalgic is a good way to look at it, I think. Um, I think people were desperate to be part of something. And um, that's part of nostalgia. I think people want to be part of the 20s or yeah. they want to go to a Gatsby party or they want to remember time that they never experienced as a simpler, more accessible period. Like when you think about it, the 30s sucked. It was a depression. Yeah, yeah. Um, but people can come down here and romanticize that and, and escape what they're doing. So, yeah, I think nostalgia is a good way to look at it. But in the end, it's still, we're still just creating a version of, of safeness. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Do you have the chance to, like, to party in the King's Cross? Yeah. When everything oh was... Oh, my God, yeah. yes. Oh, yes. Cool. It was loose. I just keep hearing the stories of all yeah. the bars and... Clubs so I think just before they did lockouts, there was a big census of what was available. And they took everyone's maximum capacity, um, which no one was adhering to. 
and they added all of them together and then they did like a a very rough survey of people on the street and they worked out on one Friday night alone mm -hmm. there was 45,000 people within the stretch of 500 meters it's crazy yeah so it was bedlam it was it was crazy like there was so much going on and i think yeah look, look we can talk about it as much as you want but it it's kind of one of those things where it happened and it was it was a moment that existed in people's memories and people still talk about it and the excitement that it brought but it was dangerous and yeah terrifying and and exhilarating and intoxicating and satisfying and also really lonely at the same time but like yeah it was it was like hedonism modern hedonism at its worst wow. and best well now talking about um Dolce's your restaurant yep um when it comes with the team that you brought or bring to the restaurant you guys worked before together right? yeah so we the three of us all like um worked at the roosevelt and then we found tom well tom found us really and together the four of us kind of came together and i can only really do so much um and i think that that's one of the things that i've learned is that i have a lot of flaws and that's why you build a team around you that has various different skills that you fail to possess yeah. a lot of the time. Um, and so Rhiannon came, uh, Rhiannon and I worked at the Roosevelt, Jono and I worked at the Roosevelt, and we had that rapport and we had that kind of understanding of each other. And I think when you open a bar, you definitely need to have the support network of people who know mm -hmm. how you work. It's a really, really daunting thing to say to people, leave, leave your job and come and work in a place that's never existed before because you trust me. Yeah. And they did. And yeah, because they're risking everything like employment, yeah. they're risking careers, they're risking reputations, they're, they're risking options. Rhiannon um, was nearing the end of her visas. Yeah. So she was like risking More deportation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, So yeah, it was it was interesting, but we did it, I guess, and we're all still here. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it, almost a year and eight months on, we're all still here, wow. which is great. Yeah, and I mean, you guys still here after COVID? Yeah, after COVID. Yeah, because after we did, yeah, after we did that lockout situation where we had to build a bar from scratch in a yeah. dead nighttime precinct, we then had that international pandemic that kind of came through and shut everyone down, which is a lot. Um, but yeah, we were able to get through that, and I think a lot of that comes down to. Oh my god, that's really bad. That's um, a lot of that comes down to the idea of how you navigate that ship with the people that you have. And again, it was just about asking people to trust. Yeah. And, and like, charge forward. Yeah, there's, a, and I look at, like, I look at other places and I, I don't know how anyone else, I don't know another response because we did ours and that was the only way I could look at an option through. But 
Yeah. Uh, there are other places that just closed and there are other places that fight all their staff and there's other places that just panicked. And yeah, I look yeah, at that yeah. and I'm like, that's fascinating in a really fucked up way. Mm -hmm. Like, why would you just shut up shop and see what happens? Um, so we paid all of our staff through. We, um, we kept it going. We did a whole heap of that kind of stuff. We just made sure that we were able to, I don't know, survive. And then yeah. it paid off. And I'm just really lucky. And also many people probably will think like, oh, you know what, maybe I'll just resign. Yeah. Because there's no much. Yeah. Or we, we also like, but we also um, petitioned the local government to change the alcohol laws so we could sell takeaways and deliveries and, and, and breach our license yeah. from what it was a week ago to pioneer a whole new world of the wild west of alcohol. Yeah, like yeah. I think looking back, um, that was a crazy time where there was a day where the day before you were allowed to only sell alcohol in your venue and that venue had been shut down and the next day you could start back shop and walk cocktails and bottles of wine and mm. a whole heap of stuff to people's houses all around the city and sell. And I think kudos to the people in power that did that and then yeah. kudos to all everyone else who jumped on that wagon to do that and kudos to the customers yeah, they, they, who they were like ordering. let's do this yeah that's good I mean, mm. it, that happened because I mean you have the bar and automatically because of us um, <laughs> yeah so essentially it happened because of licenses so um, there's, there's a bigger story there the Australian Hotels Association um had been fighting for years to make sure that alcohol off-premise sales were restricted and limited to pubs and hotels or bottle shops because yeah. essentially bottle shops came out, out of hotel licenses. Mm -hmm. And then you had big uh, retailers like Coles and Woolworths who had their own bottle shops and, and so those guys had that market and then Woolworths bought, obviously bought into Jimmy Brings so, and they now own it completely um, and so they had that market cornered and so everyone else who was doing really boutique or bespoke or like high-end stuff were limited to only selling from their venues yeah. and they'd been pushed back for years by hotels basically saying well you know what like they've got their thing they can obviously do that mm -hmm. um, it's gonna cause this it's gonna cause that it's gonna but a, a global pandemic really nullifies everyone's yeah. arguments and I think it showed that all those fears from those people were a bit wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's good that you guys have... Um, yeah, that. I don't know if it's going to end. I don't know if it's going to continue. Yeah. I'm fascinated by this, this, this time that we're in. I've always, like... I've always, uh, since opening a bar, I think there's never enough honesty from people. People are always like, yeah, man, you know, like, we're just doing our thing, and just make good drinks and you'll mm -hmm. have a good bar and it's like <laughs> fuck no i always felt like i was falling free falling in chaos yeah and okay. that the world around you insurance uh, real estate um distributors alcohol producers everyone is like structured and stable and you're just like free falling as those guys mm -hmm. kind of just like tower above you and then i think the pandemic came and it's like 
oh no everyone's free falling together <laughs> and it was great yeah. like i was just like everyone's like oh my god it's chaos and i was like isn't it great like it's isn't perfect it yeah. and so it allowed us to kind of really have a moment where everyone was at the same level and everyone was doing their their, their same thing and so i was actually really really stoked for yeah. that yeah oh, wow and now talking about like a little bit of management mm -hmm. um style kind of yeah because you are the owner of those yeah but also kind of like slash manager no so this is this is like this is one of those things i'm a great enabler mm -hmm. uh i'm a great blue sky thinker i'm not a good manager okay like i'm not a good like detailed orientated bureaucratic by the book manager so i had a licensee and i had a venue manager mm -hmm. and those two kind of ran the intricacies of what we were doing so for instance the licensee looked after restrictions and alcohol permits and all the things that we needed to do in order to make sure we we're running by the legal book and then the venue manager would make sure that we had events and functions and people getting replied to and so if someone lost a fucking lipstick that they would get replied to and that lipstick would be handed back now i think a lot of people go into it thinking that they can do and should do it all if you can good fucking luck to you because you are a better man than anyone else i know yeah um but I always knew that going in that I was going to have to find those people and so I gave those jobs to those people knowing that that's that was what they were doing. We're probably about to restructure everything again now and move um into a licensee and venue manager into one job. Okay. So one of our staff is leaving. Mm -hmm. Um and his job will be combined so uh basically it'll be like a regulation position so structure. Yeah. And then there'll be a creative job, which is what Tom will step up as bar manager, and he'll be the one that's able to engage and do classes and tastings and and really like follow that kind of. He's the f the the face or the brand ambassador, of I guess yeah. you can say of yeah. the venue. And um, what that really does is allows me to worry about the things <clears throat> that I need to worry about. Mm -hmm. So rather than making sure that everything's set up for me to do those jobs. All I'm doing is setting up things so other people can do those jobs. Okay. So when the, the that job's ready to be done, I'm not having to worry about doing that. It's someone else's job then. Yeah. It's yeah, it's may, maybe that's me being lazy, but I also think as well it has made me so much more saner and yeah. has allowed me to kind of and allowed the staff to feel like there's a there's a certain level of ownership that they have over this space and control which i think every employee in a venue should have if you don't feel invested in some way what are you doing there yeah <laughs> like leave if you want a fucking cash job just go somewhere where no one really cares a place like this you can't do that so that's that's the thing like i feel like sometimes some um, owners they want to be the manager and the bartender mm. and the restaurant manager and and even if you you have a restaurant manager you're still doing that role totally it's like totally and like uh, i can i can see that i can i can understand how there are times where as an owner you just want to walk in and go fuck i i know how to do that and like this is my business and 
you just have to hold yourself back sometimes yeah. and you have to sit there and trust the people who work for you to do those jobs because in the end if you ever want to go on a holiday for two weeks to Greece you're not going to have those oppor op opportunities no. and that person's probably going to sit there and go well fuck him he micromanaged me last time and yeah. if you don't give the support to someone and talk them through those situations that you didn't think went the, well, the way that you wanted them to or that you saw another outcome or pathway there and allow your staff to walk with you on that pathway, then in the future, they're never going to take that pathway. They're always going to sit there and go their own way mm -hmm. because you took them one way and it's like a hostage situation. Yep. And they don't have any control or ownership over the, the final resting place of where you leave them. And that's scary. Like when you're dealing with customers who are like wasted or demanding or like entitled, you have to allow the person dealing with them to feel like they are the most powerful, powerful person in the room. And sometimes that's just about not even talking or looking or walking yeah. over to that situation to diffuse it. Because as much as you want to, you take away someone else's power in that situation. So I, I, good point, yeah. I do very little, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I'm asking you that because most of the time that I've been here, you are here as well. Yeah. Either like working or... Yeah, I think... Do something. Yeah, I think we like there's still, there's still a certain amount of support that an owner or a manager needs to give their staff. Um, you can be a general manager or an owner and only do day shifts. But unless your staff feel like you're around or engaged, mm -hmm. um, they feel like they're fighting a battle for people they don't know or care about. And if you allow them into that world, um, they have a reason to, or a motive or an energy in which they're kind of building and growing from. So yeah, like it's important to be seen. I remember working at, um, at Ivy and I will give Justin Hems the most amount of credit because he was there every day. Yeah. He made sure that we saw him. He made sure that we saw him in venues or he'd be drinking with people. And, and I think a lot of people in hospitality fail to see that as an attribute, attribute of a leader <laughs> or a manager or an owner where there are some things that being the owner entitles me to. And that's not in it. Like, that doesn't mean that I just sit at the bar and get drunk and yell at people. That's a, there are certain attitudes that the people coming into the bar give me that they will not give anyone else yeah. because they know that I'm the owner. Of course. And they will like ask me things and offer me to ch a chance to sit down. And, and that's not a good thing. That's annoying. But what it does do, it, it allows that customer to buy in to the situation. Right. And again, they have ownership and they go... Like, how many times have you hate, oh, I know the owner. <laughs> and that sucks. Yeah. But those people come back because they can say that and because they feel connected to the, the space. And, yeah. and through that relationship, they will get to know staff. And then the staff will have those relationships. It's, it's fascinating. Like, it's very, like, uh, it's arbitrary. Yeah. It's such a, like, a, an intangible concept because it's not like if you... If you don't do that, if you don't clean the floors, they'll get dirty. Now that makes sense because you can see that. Correct. Whereas if it's like, if you don't talk to customers or pretend that you're their best friend or 
sometimes yeah. just sit and drink a martini and share like small parts of your life with customers mm -hmm. how do you how do you quantify that yeah. how do you go oh yeah cool like we're going to get customers or we're not you don't know yeah. you don't know the quality of customers so sometimes it's really hard to communicate that but it makes sense yeah that's good yeah and i'm pretty sure that you guys by now have your kind of like own um yeah customers in a way like regulars is this, is regulars we like, definitely do yeah right after about six weeks we had regulars um oh, that's good and i think that that's it's really relaxing and it's also really because we all have the ability to do our own jobs and then relax we aren't stressed out about anything else so we can talk to customers and we can engage with all these different people and and kind of treat them as though they're people not mm -hmm. customers yeah. and as such people just come back like yeah. people want to engage and people want to talk and and like someone like you who's in hospitality you yeah. go to so many different places but you like coming to Dulcie's and you wanted to come and interview me on this it just goes to show that like having that uh, that room to breathe and grow enables better relationships and so better relationships mean regular customers and regular customers means better word of mouth and better word of mouth means yeah. that your customer base grows and you get known as like a, a good place to drink yeah good yeah those customers become a friend sometimes right definitely yeah. and Most of them. definitely yeah and sometimes they're the greatest friends and yeah. sometimes they are not <laughs> i was recently talking about um i was talking to on hospital live about what it's like to own an all australian spirits bar and we the question was what what's one thing that you would tell someone who wants to open a bar and other people were like make sure you have money make sure you have the skill and i was like make sure you're ready to be everyone's friend <laughs> yeah. and never escape that yeah because if i go if i leave the bar and walk out and one of our regulars walks past they want to talk to you you go to the supermarket you're standing in line and you may have just woken up mm -hmm. and or you've just paid fifteen thousand dollars worth of bills and you yeah. don't want to speak to anyone and then a regular will want to talk to you or someone will sit there and ask you a question or someone will be like oh you're that guy that owns that bar and you're like yes i am and so you have to really be ready for that which is great yeah. But for someone who doesn't really love engaging with people in my downtime, yeah. it's a nightmare. Wow. But I've learned to love it. Yeah, I think it's, there's um, good things and bad things. Yeah. But then, especially yeah. if you, well, you don't live in no, Kingscross. No, for which a, is a very good reason. A good thing. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. That's a good thing probably. Yeah. yeah. So I live in Bondi, which is a complete removal yeah. from where I work. And I, I like, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it any other way. I would, I wouldn't close the bar down and burn it yeah. um but yeah <laughs> i'm joking i wouldn't do that but <laughs> i would <laughs> um well saying that is there a future for doses you like, hope so yeah um you want to obviously you want to keep it here as long as you can i think yeah i hate the idea of moving a venue um again to go back to gatsby like maybe all of my references are really literary um when they look at when you read F. Scott Fitzgerald's Gatsby, it represents a time and a period. Gatsby's parties existed at Gatsby's mansion during the time that Gatsby was looking for Daisy. Yeah. You can't take that party and move it to another house because then right. it's not Gatsby's party anymore. 
I think that's a really good way to look at venues, um, and especially when you're creating a really be bespoke experience in the space that you're in. Like, I couldn't move Dulcies anywhere because part of the charm is it's in an old strip club. Yes. And we've got the stage and we've got the seats. And unless you wanted to replicate that 100%, it's not Dulcies. Yeah, no, right. And there are other venues, like you... Uh, a really obvious example is Gazebo. When they first opened, mm -hmm. it was cool. It was chic, shabby chic, and there was like shit everywhere, and there was like, it was open, and it was loud, and it was like messy. Yeah, yeah. And then they renovated it and cleaned it, and it died. <laughs> it was still the name, and it was still the branding, but like, it wasn't what People it was anymore. Like it anymore. I think our plan is to build on that Marvel Cinematic Universe of restaurants yeah, and bars yeah. and create other venues where you can walk in and, and feel the same kind of energy that Dulcie's creates, but it's a different version. It's a different part of that world, yeah. which is what we're all looking for. You can't just have one... You can't just live your whole life in one bar um, or one part of your world. You need expanse. And that's the, that's the future for us. Is that something that you... <clears throat> You were thinking since the beginning, or is something that you, as a, maybe as an owner or like a bar owner, like I've always thought of it from the beginning. Um, I think it goes back to that idea of blue sky thinking. Is I've I've never been happy with one bar. I okay. think, and this solely goes down to the idea of I would love to be able to go to breakfast in one of my restaurants, okay, have lunch in another, <laughs> have afternoon drinks on a rooftop bar that I own somewhere. Yeah. Have dinner at another place, have after the cocktail after dinner cocktails at Dulcie's, and then have a dance at another bar. And like spend a day in all the all the venues with all the things that I like. Um, because essentially you're creating environments that have a part of you. Rhiannon um Rhiannon had a comment where she was like, You're not creating bars, you're creating horcruxes. And I was like, that's exactly what I'm doing. Like you every new venue is a different thing. Yeah but it always has a piece of you in some way. And I think for Dulcie's, that part is um, theatricality. Yeah. The next one's probably going to be, if like, let's just say we open a disco bar. It's all about partying. Partying, 80s and... Yeah, that sexy feeling of like yeah. the 70s and doing naughty, sexy things. That would be cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's definitely on the cards. So... We'll I mean, hopefully, yeah, after this, after the quarantines and... Mm. Correct. I, I don't know, I'm pretty sure that many of the laws are changing or they're going to change. They are all changed. Yeah. So, licenses are free. Uh, liquor, uh, liquor freezers are going, which means lockout laws will be dropped in King's Cross. Like, it's a brand new world. Yeah. As I said before, it's the, it's, this is Hospitality's Wild West in Sydney. Yeah. So would you say that it's now going to be easier to open a restaurant bar? Yeah. I think it always has been. Yeah. I think this this easing of restrictions and regulations are just going to allow people to see that. Yeah, okay. If you want to do something, there is always a way to do it. You just need the right people mm -hmm. and optimism. Correct. Well, that's, that's a good insight. Thanks, Diego. Any other side projects that you have or do you want to share? Or no. <laughs> I have nothing else in my <laughs> life. I think maintaining a relationship, maintaining a body at the gym yeah. that I that I use to get away from everything and then a bar. 
with stuff mm-hmm. is enough. I could, like it's 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 funny. I refer to the staff as the kids, um, and everyone around us, like my family, my business partner, always like my partner knows when I talk about the kids, I'm talking about the staff yeah. because they are family yeah. Yeah. and they are my kids. Uh, not my kids, but like you do have to look after these people and yeah, you do course. have to be there at the most challenging times. Like they will be there for you. Um, it's great. I, th- I think that that's really rewarding. And I think anyone who's listening to this should really, if you pull anything from this conversation, it's there, will, there are people around you who want to support you and you need to worship those people. Yeah, wow. that's good. Mm. Any last thoughts that you want to say about management or something? I've, I've spoken so much, yeah, Diego. <laughs> Do you have anything? No, questions? I like I like it. I like it. Like, I wanted to um, actually talk to you uh, on the first episode. Because I'm the blue sky thinker. Yeah. <laughs> Who else are you talking to? I don't know. It's a secret. Okay. Every week. So I'm excited. Yeah, every week, every week. And yeah, I think that you have, you're really into, you really care about the bar industry in Sydney. Yeah. And the Australian spirits. Yeah. You know, and the people. So I'm really glad that I met you before. And I've been listening to you and... Oh, yeah, kind of oh like that's something I should put in. You <laughs> reminded me. The idea of doing all Australian spirits and the fact that we... It is hard and like that kind of stuff is hard again because you have to create a world in which... In Sydney, it's very hard and very fast and people are used to like Hendrix and people are used to Espelon tequila and they want, they want their flavours that they know mm-hmm. cost a certain amount and that's from a... I want to show people off that I know this. Yeah. Like, I'm going to have a Hendrix with a fresh slice of cucumber. Like, fuck you, man. Like, we all know what that is. Yeah. But to some people, that is their best way to show that they are switched on in the hospitality industry. Or that that's a piece of information that they've been able to use as their cultural capital when they go out. And it makes them feel good. So, fuck it. Let them do that. However, when you own an Australian craft spirits bar, you don't have that opportunity. You don't have Hendrix. So it's about kind of working with suppliers, working with staff and working with customers to kind of find a way to softly tell those people that that product doesn't exist, but to try this other product. Try this one. We, um, we don't push ourselves as, as an Australian spirits bar until you've had your first sip. And that's always been my mantra in the sense that it's like, you shouldn't know that you're drinking Australian until you tell us that it's good. Yeah. Okay. And then we go, yeah, that came from Adelaide. <laughs> people are like, oh, really? So that's good. Yeah, that's really good that you have that um, um, opportunity or, yeah. you know. Yeah, and it is an opportunity. It's really like, it's connecting locals with local things, doing local local stuff. Yeah. And everyone's excited about Australian at the moment. So that's good. That's, I like it. All right. Well, let's uh, wrap it up this first episode. Uh, thank you, Brandy, for oh. having me here at Dulcis. You can come whenever you like. Thank you. Thank you. And, well, that's the end of the episode. Thank you, Amazing. and see you next time. Done. Ciao.